This is Library Nerds with Words, the podcast that gives you the word on all the cool, nerdy happenings at Peter White Public Library and the library universe beyond. From books and concerts to search engines and story times, the library nerds are in and ready to show you that being a nerd can be cool. Get ready, get set, get nerdy. Welcome back to Library Nerds with Words, the podcast that gives you the word on all the cool things going on at Peter White Public Library and the library universe beyond straight from the people who know it best, library nerds. My name is Marty Ackett, and I'm the adult programming coordinator for Peter White Public Library. Sitting in the nerd clubhouse again today is one of everyone's favorite library nerds, Lynette Suko that assistant head of adult services. Welcome back to the podcast, Lynette. I'm always happy to be back. (laughs) And I'm always happy to be able to sit down and talk with you, Lynette. You know, it's been a few busy months here at Peter White, and we are all gearing up for spring and summer events. Summer reading will be kicking off in a few weeks. The concert on the Step series starts in June. And of course, with the snow melting, hopefully, And the ground getting softer, the volunteers who take care of the gardens around Peter White Public Library will be hard at work very soon, planting seeds and bulbs, making the library a beautiful place to visit inside and outside. But before we find out what seeds you would like to plant with listeners today, yes, that is a clue as to today's topic, we have to play another game of Word on the Nerd, Lynette. You know how this works. I'm going to ask you three library nerd questions, and you have to answer them for listeners. So, Lynette, are you ready to play Word on the Nerd? Lynette, this is going to be another game of Would You Rather. I'm going to ask you three Would You Rather questions, and you have to truthfully answer them for the listeners. And all of the questions today have to do with growing things. So here we go. Let's get started. Here's your first question. Would you rather work in a garden in the early morning or work in a garden in the early evening? Well, that's easy. I have done both. Okay. But I prefer the evenings. It it seems to work out, of course, because I'm always working during the day. Mm-hmm. But in the evening, it's just drier. I don't like getting wet when I'm out there. Okay. So for that reason, and everything is, you know, still chirping. The birds are all out. Every, you know, the neighborhood sounds yeah. are around. And it's a very pleasant experience. Oh, in the evening. <laughs> yeah. See, I've never been much of a gardener. Um, the one time that I tried to grow pumpkins, um did not go well in my, I, I, I will just admit that, but I do remember being out there in the morning and uh, like watering the pumpkins and stuff like that. And uh, um, yeah, I didn't enjoy that as much as going out in the evenings. So um, I will go with you on that one. Um, evening is better, I think. All right. So here's your second question. Would you rather grow flowers in a garden or grow vegetables in a garden? Well, again, I, I have done both, and okay. I like to do both, but I, it just seems to me, if you're going to put all that work into growing things, you might as well get a result, and okay. that would be your product is not just beauty, but you can eat the vegetables. Okay. So vegetables is a much more sensible answer, but um, if you want to attract 
um, insects to your garden that are beneficial, mm -hmm. you can interplant. So you can put a lot of, I, I usually use marigolds because mm -hmm. they deter a lot of um, harmful insects. And so I plant those within certain like cucumbers and mm -hmm. you can put them anywhere to tell you the truth. And they're beautiful. And also zinnias attract bees like mm -hmm. crazy. So, I, and they're pretty to me. So those are the two I use the most, but you know, any kind of flower that would attract bees for one thing um, would be great, but a lot of them have the properties to not attract other bugs. So, wow. and I never, I've never realized that, that, I mean, do lots of gardeners plant like vegetables and flowers together like that? Sure, I think, I think they do. And um, companion planting is big too, if you mm -hmm. plant, um, basil and tomatoes next to each other they like each other and the peppers too but if you should put oh, what is it beans next to your strawberries i hope i don't have the wrong one i have it all on a big chart at home mm -hmm. but then um those plants don't like each other so then they either above the ground or below the ground will repel each other oh, wow. make each other not grow so well so I try not to do that. Okay. Well, you know, I never realized. So you, you can have the best of both worlds, then you can have a vegetable garden and a flower garden at the same yes. time. All right. Yes. All right. So here's your last question. Would you rather rehabilitate an old, overgrown, overgrown, neglected garden, or would you rather start with blank earth and plan your own garden? So guess what? I've done both. You've done both? Wow. Okay. <laughs> same answer every time. <laughs> Um, but I really think that we need to reuse more things in the okay. world. And so um, it's thrilling to start a new garden, mm -hmm. but to rehabilitate and maybe enlarge your mm -hmm. old garden would, is really good. It's just like if you're going to reuse furniture and you have to spruce it up a little or anything. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that can be really exciting as long as they haven't planted something so harmful that the soil is not yeah, good. Yeah. But for the most part, it should be fine. All right. Well, you see, and I would, I, my thinking on that question was if there's already been a garden there, then you know that the soil is good. It's going to grow stuff. So re rehabilitating is probably better than starting from blank. Uh, yes. And there's another reason because I took a gardening webinar yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, it was just, you know, on my own time. And they were saying, but remember, don't dig anywhere, you know, be sure to get permission to dig in your yard because you have all the gas lines, oh, yeah. the power lines, the water lines. And so that would be a really good reason to use an old an garden, garden that already yeah. is established. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. All right. See, I've learned some things with this game. Okay. Well, there you have it. We've come to the end of this growing edition of Word on the Nerd um, with Assistant Head of Adult Services, Lynette Suko. And yes, all of those questions have something to do with what Lynette will be talking about today. So Lynette, why don't you share with us the word. All right, Lynette, what topic would you like to unearth today? <laughs> I love all your little clues about what's, and to what's coming up. So I have a bunch of books on gardening and I just did two newspaper paper articles on spring and gardening and there's just way more than you could ever talk about in one sitting yeah. and so I'm also going to be doing a display in a couple of weeks on gardening and 
Um, in that one, I'll incorporate some fiction that also has to do with gardening. But for today, these are all nonfiction books. Okay. And so um, we can begin with those. But um, gardening books start way in the 500s with, um, this is called Latin for Gardeners. If you want to know the scientific names. Names for, it, wow. Okay. It's really interesting. And then the common names. And then here's another book on <clears throat> naming plants called In the Name of Plants. Mm-hmm. Now, who is um, a university professor. And so this is about where the names of the plants came mm. from and who maybe discovered those plants. Wow. So that's kind of interesting. So you get history along with it. That's mm, cool. Definitely. And we have another new book on that too. Excuse my poor throat. Allergy <laughs> season. And then there um, is a nice book on seeds. Mm. That's also in the 580-81. And um, living in a wild garden. So we're going into wildflowers and then we get into edible flowers. Edible flowers. See, that always fascinates me because I you never think of eating flowers. Yes. Well, nasturtium flowers you mm-hmm. can eat, and then there are some others you can put in salads. Oh, my gosh, I'm not thinking, because I'm not very good in the culinary world. Mm-hmm. I'm a better grower, and then I'll give it to you to cook. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. <laughs> and um, then this is a little different. Your This is your mind on plants, mm. and so it's... It kind of goes into the drugs that are involved with Oh, okay. This one is the um, poppy. You know, we're having opium from mm-hmm. poppies, caffeine. And this one is the mescaline from the Ooh. cactus. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, it, this really takes a little divergent path, <laughs> but it's still really interesting. Interesting, yeah. Yes. And this also is divergent. It's um, Wild Fruits by Henry David Thoreau. Wow. Yeah. And it's merely... Um, I think it was his last, I read a little bit more about it. It was his last manuscript and somebody had to, a scholar on Henry David Thoreau really had to interpret those manuscripts because they were from journals and notes. And um, I'll show you a picture, but for um, listening audience can't see. Yeah, I'm looking at a page that has Thoreau's (laughs) writing on it. That would drive me crazy. I don't. I can't imagine going through that. One and usually yeah. I'm pretty good on deciphering <laughs> writing, but it's it's mostly observation. So he's talking about wild apples, the history of the apple tree, and so he just goes on about apples. And there's a part about a blueberry bush. You know, it's a lot of observational writing, mm-hmm. and so it's um, very calm and interesting as all of his writing. Thoreau, yes. And this is wildflower for folklore. Mm-hmm. And so you can um, have uh, fun stories about wildflowers. And so that's kind of cool. Um, you know, that's a little more varied. You know what's really cool about all these books is they have beautiful covers. I love the, I love the covers of these gardening books. They're and just gorgeous. Some of them have the black and white drawings like yeah. folklore. But then um, some of the newer books I'll show you have colorful photos yeah. that are just Is amazing. It, I mean, you're not seeing these people, but I mean, they're just gorgeous books. This is 100 Plants to Feed the Birds. Okay. We're up at 598 because this is actually about birds. We're in okay. the animal section of the Dewey Decimal System. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's really about plants too, because it's which plants you should grow mm. for certain birds. And then what section of the country you would be doing it from like um, blueberries are pretty 
widespread around the north. Everything except the middle westwards dry. Yeah. And um, so they're talking about um, sparrows on this one. Mm. Recommended you would. Um, they would love to have some blueberries from your yard. And you can learn about birds with that book as well. Oh, yeah. So this is a, a bonus. Mm -hmm. And a little geography. A little you geography, you get now. everything. <laughs> That's awesome. So there, and then we move up to composting. This is 631. You do need composting. So here is something um, I'm going to educate you. All right. I was just educated last night. I was on this webinar and um, the person was talking, gardener from Milwaukee, but it was for libraries. You know, I signed up for it. I got it. Mm -hmm. and she was talking about lasagna garden. And so I'm thinking, oh, probably you would put tomatoes and basil and onions all mm -hmm. together in one garden, maybe some oregano. And I was thinking of the ingredients to make a real lasagna. Mm -hmm. But no, that that's wasn't not what it means. Was. Okay. <laughs> it was how you should make a compost pile, like like you make lasagna with layers. So okay. she was saying, well, then you would use green component, some brown component, and then she used fertilizer. We don't use fertilizer in our compost pile. Mm -hmm. And then you water it down, and then you add another layer, and you water it down, you know, like, mm. um, so it was just the layering ingredients of compost. And I I said, what? In fact, I wasn't understanding what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. Where's the lasagna part of this garden? And so my husband, after he was done, like, uh, no, he didn't really giggle at me, but he was pretty <laughs> amused that I didn't know it. Um, he said, well, that's the composting. It's the layering. Okay. Because he's the composting guy. Okay. And then we do have books on berry growing because, mm -hmm. you know, we just have so many delicious berries oh, yeah. around here. Blueberries, mm -hmm. raspberries, strawberries. And then you're going to get up to, this is a new book, The New Organic Grower. Mm. And so it's a 30th anniversary edition. So 30 mm. years ago, somebody was already doing organic gardening. I was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this one does have really beautiful, beautiful pictures. pictures. Wow. And a lot of the books this year, because we got a ton of new gardening books, mm. are just taking a little leap from the garden mm -hmm. into perhaps you want to grow chickens too. So you can have some eggs. Mm -hmm. Oh, while you're at it, would you like some dairy cows? <laughs> or goats so that you can have goat milk. Um, very interesting stuff. So there's a lot of them on homesteading, but mm -hmm. this, this book also kind of covers a lot of things. If you're okay. going to be an organic grower, you might be growing some farm animals too. All right. All right. And then this is the organic seed grower. So I haven't done much of this, but you know, we have a seed library downstairs. Yes, and it's that organization that is concentrating on retaining seeds and then mm -hmm. letting them go to another person. So um, that is a big deal. And there is an organization, seedsavers.org. That's where I buy a lot of my seeds from. And you won't find everything because mm -hmm. if people don't give back and they're, they're, they're not available, yeah, they're not available. Then. Mm -hmm. So it is important to collect the seeds. And there are so many old stories about like immigrants, um, bring their seeds with them because mm -hmm. it's something that they already know how to do. They right. already know how to grow this plant mm -hmm. and they make food from it. So uh, it's pretty important. This is cute. The edible front yard. Mm. So I'll tell you a story. When I first <laughs> came to Marquette, uh, there was this house around the corner on, not, it, I think it was on Hampton street. Okay. And 
it had a front yard facing south. And so it just had a garden in front. And I'm like, is that tacky or what? Why do people? Because I was still kind of in the lawn thing. This was 30 years ago. Just thinking about lawn, you know, why wouldn't you just have a nice lawn here in Michigan? Mm. Well, that, that's where the garden grew to that. So they did that. And now I'm going to put some gardening stuff in my front yard. Oh, okay. It really makes a lot of sense. So mm-hmm. uh, people are getting rid of their lawns and just going to either wildflowers or lawns that um, do more things than one, like a clover lawn, mm-hmm. which um, fixes nitrogen in your lawn. But also, guess what? The deer who want to eat your vegetables might Go for the clover. They might not go farther than the clover, I'm hoping. Mm. I'm really hoping. So that's something. That was the one thing that I battled with my pumpkins was rabbits. Oh, yeah, rabbits too. They just destroyed my garden. Oh, yeah. We have have fences, but we were going to build a great big fence, and this year it's not practical. So Mm. we're still just going to put the deer thing up above. But we have a rabbit fence, and then on top of that is the deer fence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you really have to be careful because let me tell you, I got no sink. I didn't get any pumpkins at all from those rabbits. So, yeah, that happens. (laughs) And then um, growing vegetables and herbs. We have a book just on that. We have more than one book Mm. just on that. Um, The Creative Vegetable Gardener. This is a brand new book. It's a it's it's a compilation of um, ways you can make the garden work and um, used raised beds and um, all kinds of different uh, I don't know designs that you can mm. use on your garden. But even better than this one is the raised bed revolution. Mm. This shows so many creative ways that you can make your own containers like on wheels or using the back of a fence to uh, put containers on. So just a lot of stuff. This is a really uh, great book. So Raised Bed Revolution. Mm -hmm. Garden Anywhere. I love it. (laughs) And then here's one on winter gardening, ways that you would be able to protect your garden in winter. But this takes a lot of infrastructure. Yeah. You know, you'd have to really work on that. And then, like I said, the homesteading books concentrate a lot on farming, too. And there's some really good books. These are design books, like how can I get a bouquet of something that's in season? Or maybe I could make a wreath out of something in season. So this one is, whoa, this one's pretty small. really beautiful. I mean, just But it has great photos. This is called... Petal and Twig. Wow. And so this is in the 745, which mm-hmm. is Arts and Crafts. Here's one flower arranging with your garden flowers. Mm-hmm. Again, 745. And then the A to Z of cut flowers. So if you want to raise more than marigolds and zinnias, mm-hmm. you would be able to do this. I, I like to have tulips in the spring. Mm-hmm. So my tulips were, I planted some last fall they were coming up beautifully because it's their first year yeah and then uh one day i walked out the door last week and they were all mowed off and there were some little deer tracks in oh no <laughs> they ate every, every single they tulip ate a dozen tulips oh, oh my, gosh. my gosh that was just really sad <laughs> and they um we've been noticing the same two have been coming and they hopped the fence to my neighbor's oh. yard, get all their good grass from the middle of the yard. I don't know what they're growing there, mm-hmm. but it's good. And then they hop back and then go 
all up to the water tower behind our house. Okay. And so there, because that's where there's a woody area there, and that's where they live, and they know their route so well. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I came outside, and um, we didn't have the big fence up then, and uh, one of the deer was just lying at the edge of the garden, just like looking around wow. in the garden. Yeah. It's my garden. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, don't touch it. It's mine. It's all mine. They, they really have uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of nerve, you know. They're a food source, though. Yeah, absolutely. It's our food source, too. So I protect the stuff inside the fence, but mm-hmm. you're welcome to the sacrificial garden, which is down the on the bottom of I the love yard. that. A sacrificial garden for the yeah. rabbit and deer. So. Plus, we're going to plant wildflowers this year, kind of um, at on the back mm-hmm. barrier border of the yard because it's hard to mow. There's some things that stick mm-hmm. out. And so we're just going to wildflower. And hopefully, um, keep the deer on that. And then maybe that they'll end. be happy just eating the wildflowers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that, I, that my one foray into gardening. I learned that the critters are one of the biggest challenges in the UP for sure. I never used to have my bulbs eaten. Um, and last year they were breaking through the fence. They would throw themselves on the fence on the garden to kind of break it so that it would like, they could get up under one fence wow. over another. It was just too much, too much <laughs> for me. I couldn't handle it. My, my charity toward the deer was kind of kind of at the edge there. Yeah, yeah. I, my children heard me call my, those rabbits many things that I probably shouldn't have said in front of them. So, oh my gosh. Well, those books are so gorgeous. I love all the covers and the pictures in them. They're just stunning books. There will be more on the display. And um, especially the new books are beautiful. But they're all out right now. So right. that's great. Yeah. You know, checking them out. Yep. All right. Well... Um, there you go. Um, that is um, Assistant Head of Adult Services, Lynette Suko's word for today on gardening and books about gardening. However, we can't let you leave Nerd Central Station just yet, Lynette. First, we have to get a book recommendation from you, something that you think listeners should immediately run to the library and pick up off the shelf. All right, Lynette, what have you been reading that's good? You are going to love these recommendations. All right. I have two. All right. So one of them is called Soil. It just came off the cart yesterday. Yeah. It's a beautiful cover. And I went, oh, it's a story about, and it, so it's called Soil, the story of a black mother's garden. Mm. And I went, okay, it's, you know, like something spiritual or whatever. Mm-hmm. Nope, nope, nope. It's 635 in gardening. So this woman um, was in the city and uh, she moved to Fort Collins in 2013. And so she said the community held restrictions about what residents could and could not plant. And so instead of uh, having a lawn in front, she planted wildflowers. But there was symbolism behind that because being a black person, in a more white state, mm-hmm. um, mostly white is, I guess, what I should say, was that she was also trying to make it homogenous. Mm-hmm. And she was symbolizing how diversity in a garden, not just grass, right. but some wildflowers in there too, mm-hmm. 
So diversity could improve the whole soil and everything mm -hmm. that was in there and um, cooperation between the plants. Mm -hmm. And so she was using a whole bunch of principles together that to prove so this cool. point. And so this is a magnificent concept yeah. of a book. And, so. I, and I, I will tell you, I went through all the new books that came in and that the cover of that one was like right up there. It's a gorgeous, it gorgeous cover. Truly gorgeous, <laughs> yes. So this is really neat. And I, if it had come out earlier, I would have written about it in my article, but it didn't. So it's going on the display. All right. Or if somebody wants it before then, of course, they can mm -hmm. have it. And um, this is my not gardening recommendation, but mm -hmm. it does have some, it, it um, talks about foraging a little okay. bit. So that's how I was able to connect it. Although this part of the podcast doesn't have to be it doesn't connected. have to be connected so, no but, but it looks like i mean the cover certainly the cover, looks connected there's some mushrooms <laughs> and stuff on there. but this is called taste like war a memoir by grace cho and she's talking about her korean mother who came over to the u.s um in the 70s actually it wasn't mm -hmm. like a war bride thing because she's younger but she was coming into a place that was not super welcoming mm. and um, also Korean food is really strong flavors mm -hmm. and American palates are not always prepared for yeah. that. So she had to, you know, be kind of gentle about her cooking and people were always trying to get her to cook American food. Oh, okay. And so that it's just very interesting, but she was a fantastic cook. So she did all that, mm. but she would go, foraging because she um, was like used to that. She was a child in the mm -hmm. 50s, I guess, when, during, uh, during the Korean War. So right. she, you know, was used to war and um, having that foraging experience. But then she married an American guy who was in the military and then came over to this country and had some children. And so this is her daughter's memoir about her experience mm -hmm. growing up with okay. her mom who had these quirky things but going out foraging for foods was one of them because that was a wartime carryover mm. because it was available and mm -hmm. that food wasn't always available because their culture this i didn't know their culture was kind of japanese the japanese had conquered them many times before yeah. the korea um especially north korea and then um then the country got divided when the Americans came over and mm -hmm. kind of made South Korea uh, more of a democracy, but North Korea was not right. taken with them. Yeah. So, um, so that was really interesting that you learn a little bit of history, a little bit about the mom, and then the daughter turned out to be a great cook, and she mm. used to cook Korean foods from her mom's childhood oh, wow. to comfort her because she became schizophrenic in um, mm. her later life. So it's a very sad, oh, cry. You have to cry on the last two pages. You can't help it. Um, but it all, it's wise in some ways. It's um, really touching how this girl wanted to really um, get her mom back, the mom that she knew from her childhood. Wow. So, so that tastes like War by Grace. Yeah, so. it's the Big Michigan Read right now. Oh, or really? The Big Read. Um, it's, um, so a whole bunch of copies of this are available on Libby. Libby? Yeah, so I listened to it 
Okay. And then I just found the book so I could show you the cover. It's it's gorgeous. <laughs> it sounds fascinating. It was a National yeah. Book Award finalist. And so yeah, that too. So it's really good. I would recommend that That's to anybody. Awesome. It kind of reminds me of Amy Tan, mm. who was a Chinese writer. Right. Well, she still is. She's still living. And um, she wrote the Joy Luck Club, which mm-hmm. was about kind of her generation, you know, being born in America of these Chinese moms and mm-hmm. their Chinese or American dads. And then she wrote her mom's story, which mm-hmm. was from China, and it's called The Kitchen God's Wife. Remember that book, yeah. That was so impactful. That is from the 1980s sometime. But I was just blown away by that book mm-hmm. about the Chinese experience. And, you know, so that's going back into the 30s and 40s. And mm-hmm. so really different um, kind of uh, life and all of the political stuff that happened. And the social, like the man owned the woman. Yeah. And so it was very, very interesting and heartbreaking. Mm. But little shades of that. This is not, she's a very independent modern woman. So you're not going to find abuse or anything in there. It sounds fascinating. Yep. And it's amazing. You really did keep the same theme through almost everything. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, there you have it. Fellow library nerds, Lynette's recommendations of some things that you should pick up. Off the shelf. And we have come to the end of this gardening episode of Library Nerds with Words. I want to thank guest nerd extraordinaire Lynette Suko, Assistant Head of Adult Services here at Peter White Public Library for stopping by today. Come back next week when I will be welcoming a newcomer to the library and podcast, Dax Ritter from the Reference Desk. He doesn't know it yet, but he's going to be joining me. (laughs) He'll He'll love it. Until that time, everyone, stay nerdy. Thank you for listening to Library Nerds with Words, Peter White Public Library's weekly podcast, giving you the word on what's cool at the library. The theme for the podcast is Happy Clappy by John Bartman, used courtesy of Pixabay. This episode was written and produced by Martin Ackett's and sponsored by Peter White Public Library. Until next week, pick up a good book, listen to some good music, Watch a good movie, attend a great event, and remember, library nerds are the coolest people around.